0: Welcome back into the College Ball 365 Podcast. My name is Dylan Callahan-Curley. I'm joined by my co-host Marty Leap and Anthony Azan here. We're back here today talking some uh, recent headlines around college football, some recruiting, notable commitments that's, that have happened of recent. And, uh, yeah, possibly a couple other topics that we may get to here. We'll see how the podcast goes. Um, but uh, before we get into that stuff, guys, how have you been? Uh, it's been Maybe two weeks since our last episode. I I don't know. Everything's starting to blend together here.
1: Yeah, man, doing well. Happy to be back. Uh, Just um, you know, excited for Easter weekend, celebrating with my family. But uh, other than that, yeah, just uh, it's been good so far.
2: Yeah, hectic time in my household. We're getting ready to move, so we've started the process of packing and all that jazz. And my youngest has pink eye. And just you know, hey, living life,
0: living life. Yeah, and you sound a little bit stuffy there yourself, Marty. Oh yeah,
2: there there has not been a fully healthy person in this house in about three months at this point. So, you know, you, you take what you get in life right now because this cold and flu season this year has been extremely unkind to us.
0: Yeah, my fiance Brooke uh, got the flu three weeks ago, and yeah, she was she was down for a while, and uh, even the side effects afterwards can last for a while. So, yeah, uh, definitely a tough flu season, uh, but. Hopefully, everybody in your house gets healthy here soon. Um, I guess let's get right into our topics here today. Uh, we'll start with some recent headlines. I want to jump into the big one, which is uh, Georgia quarterback transfer JT Daniels has uh, decided on his new destination. Poor report reports. I don't think any official word has come out from Daniels yet. Correct? I haven't seen any anything from Daniels.
1: I haven't seen anything official from him, but it, I mean, it seems like at this point, everyone's reporting on it. Yeah. So I would assume yeah, it seems it's, like
0: official.
2: it's official, officially unofficial, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Pete, uh, the Pete Mel of ESPN was the first reported and he's obviously Pete's pretty, pretty damn reliable. So I, I think we can believe him on that one. And, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he, as in JT Daniels has chosen West Virginia over both uh, Missouri and Oregon state. I'm I was a little bit shocked with this. I thought Oregon State was kind of a favorable place for him to go, a place that is uh, coming off a great season, showed some promise offensively, a good a good uh, head coach who's also very good with quarterbacks and Jonathan Smith. Uh, I I thought that was a great destination for him. Also, go back west, get a little bit closer to home. Uh, but he decides on West Virginia, which kind of makes sense. The Graham Harrell connection is there. Uh, Harold was uh his offense coordinator at USC. Was Harold USC during his first year? Yes, I believe so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Harold, the connection there from USC does make sense. Um, that being said, I'm still not sure it's it was the best decision for Daniels here. Uh, whoever wants to go first here on this one.
2: I mean, I definitely think JT Daniels going to West Virginia League said it makes sense with the Graham Harrell connection, and it's certainly, I know this is something we plan on getting into here in a minute, but it's certainly going to make the backyard brawl a lot of fun. Um, I mean, the backyard brawl is already one of the best rivalries in college football to begin with, but now you throw in the JT Daniels versus Keaton Slovis storyline to go with it, that'll be a, a real fun caveat to go with that game, and j- just strictly from an on-field standpoint, you know, I think that this is a big get for West Virginia Daniels has always been a good player. He's always had all the talent in the world. For one reason or another, a lot of times stuff that was out of his control, injuries, whatever it might be, things have not worked out for him at USC or in Georgia. I mean, you know, USC prior to getting hurt, I thought he was going to be a great quarterback for the Trojans. So I still think there's a lot of talent in that right arm. And if you're West Virginia, you know, he definitely, without knowing West Virginia's quarterback room very well, I feel very safe saying he has quickly become the most talented quarterback in that room. So you know, if your Neil Brown is going into a very important season when it comes to his future in Morgantown, you know you're you're you could be doing worse a quarterback than J.T. Daniels. I feel.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent agree with you there, Marty. Uh, not to mention with the backyard brawl, they uh, I saw on Twitter they just extended that. Actually, uh, I think they added like five or six more games through the year twenty twenty nine. So you know that's going to be big for the rivalry there as well. So that'll be fun to follow, but. I think for Daniels, um, it makes sense from the standpoint of out of the three schools he was choosing between West Virginia, Missouri, and Oregon State, West Virginia was probably the the best school of the three, I would say. You could probably debate WVU in Missouri, but you know West Virginia is the better of the three schools in terms of prestige. But I, I do agree with Dylan that I think Oregon State, just from a geography standpoint, made a lot of sense. He's from California. He'd be closer to home. It'd be, I don't know the rooms very well, but I got to imagine Oregon State's a better opportunity for him to start and probably a better system for him to be in. But I, I do think that, you know, West Virginia is still a good pick for him and it'll get him more exposure. It'll probably be really fun to watch, especially in that pit game.
0: Yeah. i kind of touched on it. It's, Daniel's career has been really interesting so far. I mean, when you look at the five-star status he had coming out of high school. It's kind of hard not, it's kind of hard to agree to a degree not to label him as a bust because I mean, five-star town. if he didn't move up a class at the very end, he would have been the number one prospect in the country uh, in his original recruiting uh, cycle. Um, But as Marty alluded to, injuries have kept him from reaching that um, that the places he can go Uh, But also things out of his control because once he got injured, I mean, over at USC, uh, Slovis uh, emerged out of that. And then when he got injured at Georgia, Stetson Bennett emerged from there. And and at the time of both those injuries for Daniels and when Slovis and Bennett took over respectively, both of those quarterbacks in his (laughs) absence played really well and it was hard to take them off the field. And he never really got a fair shot. I think after getting injured at both places, because of that you look at the numbers he put up over his career when he has played, and it, they've been pretty damn good numbers. I mean, his freshman season at USC was uh, strong uh, for the most part, and over the last couple of years in his limited time at Georgia, when he was I should say limited time on the field at Georgia, he put up really good numbers. The touchdown and interception ratio was solid, and uh, he he showed everything you want in a star quarterback and a potential for future first round pick. So I absolutely agree that this is a huge pickup for West Virginia. My question for you guys is does Daniels get in, sorry, does West Virginia getting Daniels possibly put West Virginia in that competing for a big 12 championship uh, sphere in 2023, 2022. Sorry.
1: Um, possibly, I mean, it gives them a better chance than what they had before. I still think West Virginia is a team that has a lot of holes specifically on defense. Um, so I'm going to say that it's not going to make them big 12 title contenders, but I mean, Hey, crazier things have happened. And, you know, history has shown that if you have a good quarterback, it could cover up a lot of holes in a lot of different places. So, I mean, you still got to compete with Oklahoma, Oklahoma state's still going to be decent. You know, maybe maybe this is the year finally Texas does something. You never know, probably not, but we'll see. So um, I still think there's a lot against them, but it's it it's more possible than it was before. I'll say that much.
2: Yeah, that's how I feel. I don't think they do it. Um, there's still a lot going against them. Like you said, they 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 lose a ton off their defense from last year. Uh, who is JT Daniels? going to throw the ball to? You know, are they going to block for him? There's a lot there. But like you said, Anthony. We've seen time and time again in the sport of football, especially in college football, if you've got a good quarterback, you've got a chance, and they've got a good quarterback now. So I, I definitely think of raising them up, the Big 12 pecking order. But ultimately, I think Oklahoma, Texas, and you know, Texas is liable to fall flat on their faces because Texas that's what they do. But Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, at least those three teams, potentially even Iowa State, I, I would definitely still put ahead of them entering the season.
0: Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with both of you. I mean, you look at what West Virginia has done under Neil Brown over the last three seasons, 5-7 and seven in 2019, 6-4 in 2020, and 6-7 and seven this past season in 2021. Uh, th- there's just still a lot of issues for this program to clean up. Uh, they have had good defenses under Neil Brown and Coon this past season, where they allowed just 23.8 points per game. But their offense, I mean, that is the big question. Uh, Jared – I know we like to call him Doge over here because of Dogecoin. But uh, I think it's – Yeah, uh, he he was solid for West Virginia, 65.2% completion percentage over 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, 12 12 interceptions. But uh, it is very slim pickings for – who he has options of really to go to. West Virginia had a lot of guys who were quality wide receivers or running backs, um, but nobody who really had that potential to break games open or to be a true game changer for them offensively. Uh, So there's a lot there to clean up. But like Marty said, when you have a elite quarterback, which I think JT Daniels is, I think JT Daniels with a good season could put himself right back into the first round territory next year's NFL draft. Um, anything's possible that being said I just don't think West Virginia necessarily has the other pieces here uh, as Anthony also alluded to to make a run to a big 12 title in uh, 2022 but I mean certainly they could get to eight uh, maybe nine wins uh, if everything comes together any other thoughts on JT Downs to West Virginia guys were you shocked at all by the decision
2: I mean, I wouldn't say shocked, especially because of the Graham Harrell connection. A um, little surprised. I mean, from what you guys touched on, especially the geography standpoint of it, I thought he would go to Oregon State. Um, Jonathan Smith has also proven to be a very good offensive mind, both at his time as offensive coordinator Washington and now the head coach at Oregon State. So I thought the Beavers would be the choice, largely for those reasons. But I wasn't, I wasn't shocked by any means to see him choose the Mountaineers.
0: It was also his last visit. He took Oregon State in uh, mid-March, Missouri at the end of March, and then uh, he just visited West Virginia, I think, uh, the weekend before he committed. So, uh, yeah, his last visit. And as we know in recruiting sometimes, you always want to have that last visit and have the chance to have the last uh, impression on a player. And uh, obviously more went into than just one visit, but it, it certainly paid off for West Virginia to get that last visit.
1: Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Dylan. That's exactly what I was gonna say. You know, getting that last visit, I think, was huge for West Virginia, and it allowed them to, like you said, leave that last impression on him. And you know, they were able to get JT Daniels. So, like I said, it's 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 great for West Virginia. I think it could be good for JT Daniels as well. So, we'll have to see how it goes moving forward. All
0: right, and going off that news, um, something that Marty uh, briefly talked about is uh, the backyard brawl. Um, so one well, part of the cool thing about JT Daniels thing, uh, that Marty did already talk about is uh, we now get to see to open the season for West Virginia and Pittsburgh, uh, JT, JT Daniels versus uh, Keaton Slovis, which is a really fun way uh, just to add a little bit more to that backyard brawl, which is one of the best rivalries in football. I mean, I think we all uh, remember uh, some of the truly fantastic games between these two programs. I think of, 2007, off the top of my head, uh, when I think West Virginia was number two in the country, Marty and Pittsburgh upset them on a Thursday night game. Maybe it was.
2: It was. It was, it was a Saturday night in Morgantown. Yeah, but I mean, Pitt came in, I think three and seven. I want to say it was.
0: Yeah, it was a down <laughs> season seven, for Seven,
2: Three and eight, and all WVU had to do was beat Pitt, and they were going to go to the BCS National Championship game. And um, I mean, that was a game where, to the credit of Dave Wonstadt, and I believe Paul Rhodes was his defense coordinator at the time. They just completely shut down Pat White and Steve Slayton, who for those who remember Pat White and Steve Slayton, man, were they dynamic and man, were they fun to watch in college. And Rich Rod's offense, Pat McAfee missed like three field goals and extra points, something like that. And that was the the infamous 13 to nine game that, you know, Pitt fans will forever hang on to because as a Pitt fan, you don't really have a whole lot else to hang on to. But, yeah, like you said, the Backyard Brawl is one of the best, most fun rivalries in college football. I have been to the Backyard Brawl before. Even if you're not a fan of Pitt or West Virginia, it, it, it needs to be a bucket list type of game as a college football fan because it is so much fun. For those who don't know, Morgantown and Pittsburgh are like 40 minutes apart. So no matter where the game's at, West Virginia or Pittsburgh, there's going to be a ton of fans from that other team there. And it's just a blast. The teams hate each other. The fans don't like each other. It's,
0: it's a lot of fun. It's one of the best rivalries in college football. Yeah, my only worry with it is that uh it's been storming for so long. Uh and I mean obviously fans won't care. Fans will jump right back into that head first and like it never went away. But uh I I just wonder from like a player standpoint, uh, I I mean, I, how many of these kids remember two thousand seven? Uh you know, when was the last time these two met anyway? Um I'm I'm trying to think if I can remember, but I I remember that the
2: last backyard brawl that was played. I was at it. I do remember that. I don't remember. It was like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Let me, I'll I'll Google it. I'll let you know. Sure. But overall, excuse me, November 25th, 2011 was the last time. And I do remember also WVU won the game by one point. It was just an awesome all around experience from a pure college football fandom point of view.
0: Absolutely. And I'm looking at pitch future schedules. Cause I just want to make sure I get this right. So the good news is we do get Pittsburgh versus West Virginia each of the next four years, which should help revitalize this rivalry. And, uh, especially, um, for potential recruits down the road, because the good news about this is Pitt and West Virginia have agreed, uh, to bring the rivalry back once again in 2029, uh, through 2020, uh, 2032, I believe. Uh, so, uh, Really looking forward to that. It's you know uh, still seven way seven years away for those uh, four games to even start beginning, but uh, I'm glad we had the backyard brawl back in our uh, future lives and even over the next four years. Uh, so that's just great news for college football overall.
1: Yeah, no, um, like I think you guys touched on it perfectly. Um, I was not a huge college football fan uh, at the time of the backyard brawl. So I, I know that Pitt and West Virginia had a big rivalry, but I'm personally excited to see those two teams reignite that rivalry. Um, I'm not sure which art which rivalry is bigger between you know Pitt and West Virginia or Pitt and Penn State. I think if you can make an argument for Pitt West Virginia just because it is closer, even though Pitt and Penn State have that in state rivalry going. You know, Pitt and West Virginia have the geography thing going in in their direction, but. You know, I've been to the Pitt-Penn State games, you know, like there's definitely like an elevated sense of, you know, you're playing the in-state rival, but overall it it didn't feel that much different than a normal game. I feel like what Marty was saying with Pitt-West Virginia, I think it's one of those games that you can feel the difference. And if I could get to one, I absolutely would love to, because it sounds like it would be a blast, but... Yeah, no, I think it's good for both teams that they're able to get this going again. And especially if you add that dynamic of two, for at least for this year, two quarterbacks that used to be in the same quarterback room out west, they're now playing against each other in this game. So, yeah, it's going to add a little fun dynamic to it. And, you know, hopefully for both teams, they jump right back into it. I'm sure the fans will, like you said. And it's going to be a good game to watch. Yeah, so, I will
2: say I would make the argument Pitt and West Virginia is a bigger rivalry than Pitt and Penn State largely because both sides want it badly. It's not like the Pitt and Penn State thing where a lot of people on the Penn State side don't want that game to be played. And, you know, as a Penn State fan, personally, I'd love to play Pitt every year because I can't stand them. But I understand where Penn State comes from of being a top-tier program in the Big Ten. You want, you know, like right now, they have the home-and-home of Auburn and they have a home-and-home of Georgia scheduled down the line. Those are the kind of home-and-homes you look to schedule. Pitt and West Virginia are kind of in that same tier, I feel. And I think as a result, I would agree that that is a bigger rivalry than the Pitt and Penn State. Now, 20, 30 years ago would have been different, but right now I do think the Mountaineers and the Panthers are a bigger rivalry than the Panthers and the Ninny Lions are.
0: Or we just find a way to just throw Pitt, West Virginia, and Penn State on a same conference so we can get that trio back together. Because I, mean, they I didn't be stay anyway. in West Virginia yeah. used to be big rivals back way before I was born. But I'm pretty sure they play um, in a couple
2: years, don't
1: they? Is it 2024 or 2025? Yeah, yeah they play kind of in a couple of years. More
2: than kind of making friends. So
0: yeah, that'll they be, do. that will be a fun one too. Um. All right. Well, we can look forward to all those future matchups if college football is still it, exists in its current format uh, in the future, uh, because you know, here on the podcast, we've been. We are very much pro NIL, but we are at the very same time very worried about the future of the game and the sustainability of the game going forward under the current and NIL waves. Uh, and we're not alone. Uh Dabble Sweeney has come out against the current format. Lincoln Riley has come out against the current format, and a another head coach, uh, a very big one, uh, threw his hat in the ring as well this week in an uh, article with the Associated Press. Nick Saban called college football's NIL um, current, current for, format uh, unsustainable. Uh, I'm just going to read the quote here. Um, I'm trying to remember who wrote this article for the AP Press. Uh, give me one second. It was, yeah, it was Ralph uh, Russo. Um, but uh, here's his quote from uh, from Saban in the article. I don't think what we're doing is in- Right now, as a sustainable model, the concept name, image, and likeness was for players to be able to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities for themselves. That's what it was. So last year on our team, our guys probably made as much or more than anybody in the country, but that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. You can do it in recruiting, I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. And you can also get players to get in the transport to see if they can get more someplace else than they can get at your place. Um, so overall, the two big takeaways from this Nick Saban quote are, A, he believes the current method is unsustainable, which I agree. And B, he is worried about programs buying players by using NIL agreements, cough, cough, Tennessee, cough, cough, Texas a and um, At least, you know, we agree that those reports are probably valid. Um, with that what do you guys think about this? I mean, this is a pretty big opposer to the current foreman in Saban. Uh, I mean, I you could probably call Saban the most powerful person in college football. He's up there. More than any commissioner. So, so whoever wants to go first on this one.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's not wrong. Um, it's... I know it's kind of funny coming from Nick Saban because, let's be honest, if Alabama needs the NIL money to land someone, someone in that program, Booster, somebody's going to find that money and they're going to get that kid. Sure, but, absolutely. you know, he, he's not wrong with it. Like this week, James Franklin after practice with Penn State had media availability, and he mentioned how much it's changed things where you could out-recruit everybody in a kid's recruitment. That kid could love everything about the staff, everything about the school, and you don't get him because of NIL money. You know, a recruitment that in the past, the school would have won easily. They may not win now because of this. And I think we've already started to see that happen with the transfer portal and in recruiting. Um, you know, there's there's been plenty of kids in the portal. What's been reported, what was most important to them, or at least what was going to be a ma- major factor in what school they chose was going to be an NIL deal they could find. So I, I think moving forward, th- the worst thing the NCAA could have done was for this to come in and for them to throw their hands up and not have any set of rules and regulations on it, which of course is what the NCAA did. Because the NCAA, much like Major League Baseball, is always its own worst enemy, um, so I, I do think that was a major mistake on the end of the NCAA. But it's also one of those deals now that the cat's out of the bag. How do you put it back? You know, it, it's you can't. I don't think the NCAA can go back now. And even if you look at like a state legislative point of view, every state has different rules on on NIL laws, and that also is going to be a major issue for schools. You know, if you have a state. Like here in Pennsylvania, for example, they really drug their feet with that stuff and it hurt Penn State for a while. And then you have other states where it's just they don't care. They're going to throw their hands up and say, do what you want. And we've seen those schools benefit. So I think in the end, it's not – in my opinion, it's not going to change a ton in terms of who the top programs are in college football. Ultimately, the schools that were top-tier schools were already paying kids anyway. Um, You know, Jimbo Fisher even kind of had a comment at that back in the fall Of, you know, this stuff's been going on for decades now, it's just legal. So I don't know how much changes on that front, but I do think, you know, you're going to see a program, like you mentioned, Dylan, with Tennessee, where you have boosters who are willing to do whatever it takes to get that program back to national prominence. And if that means giving $8 million to a high school quarterback, and so be it. And obviously, you know, this is not good for the long-term health of the NCAA. If you're not a fan of one of the top, probably like 25 to 30-ish programs in the country, you're really going to be screwed because I think it's a question of when, not if we see, you know, a group of 25 to 30, maybe 40 schools break off and basically start doing their own thing and form their own league away from the NCAA.
0: Yeah. I've been, I've been uh, banging the drum on that. I think we will see in the next 10 to 15 years, uh, a new division of college football above FBS where it's these mostly power five programs who have the money that they can throw at every recruit in the country. And the group of five will kind of become their own, uh, division there. And then perhaps you see some FCS teams move up. I, I think we're going to see a complete realignment of college football divisions, uh, a division of college football across the country because of NIL, um, Interestingly enough, it has. We haven't seen the sim, a similar impact just yet in basketball, but I mean it will get interesting when we start talking about basketball. But I mean, basketball is is such a different sport, recruiting wise, than football. I mean, you have kids in basketball that go to small schools like the University of Milwaukee. What I, I'm trying to think, of which school? But there's a five-star who went to University of Milwaukee. Five stars go to St. Louis, so on and so, on, so, on, so forth. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a real – college football is in a very dangerous spot uh, with the current method. And the only way I think it gets fixed, and I've been saying this for a while now, is uh, with national legislation from Congress. But uh, I don't see them getting involved anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I will say my favorite thing about the Saban quote, and anytime Nick Saban says anything about NIL, he's had a couple of quotes in the past year or so about it, is people think he's kind of complaining about it, or like he's venting about, you know, problems that he thinks, oh, Bama's going to fall off or whatever. Like, he's not. Like, if Nick Saban needs to use NIL to get recruits, he's going to use NIL to get recruits. Like, Nick Saban's not going to fall off. Alabama's not going to fall off because of this. Like, he's... More concerned about college football as a whole, as opposed to just his program. His program is going to be fine regardless. But I agree with everything that you guys said. I want to also add a point about, you know, these guys and their marketability and why this is unsustainable. In my opinion, is because the way these kids are getting their money is skewed. Um, these guys are only getting money if they're recruits or they're in the transfer portal. You know, if they're just players on their team they're not their market value is not super high unless you're the star quarterback like for an example um i know you guys saw sean clifford uh just the other day announced that he is starting his own nil company called limitless he's actually the first college athlete to have his own nil company for other college athletes and it's a very interesting concept and like in the espn article they mentioned how he made $100,000 in NIL last year which I was blown away by I had no idea he made that much money which I guess shouldn't surprise me but and then it got into his, one of his first clients Yair Brown who is a, one of the star safeties for Penn State he was saying how you know NIL is fairly limited you know for him as a player you know unless you go into the portal and I think that's why it's super unsustainable and That's what needs to be fixed. It can't just be a pay-to-play. You know, these kids shouldn't have to go into the portal every year to see who can pay them the most money. You know, they should be able to either get their opportunities, or but there shouldn't be that extra incentive. And I think that's where the problem is going to lie.
2: Yeah, that's a great point because you really haven't seen a whole lot for current players. I mean, there was the rumors of Bryce Young getting the like two million dollar NIL deal for whatever it was. And, you know, you've seen this stuff with Texas' offensive linemen and the BYU walk-ons being able to have their scholarships essentially paid for by NIL donations. And, you know, like I know in Pittsburgh, they have a weekly radio spot this past season with Kenny Pickett. I'm sure he was paid for that now. But there really haven't been a lot of examples of players already on rosters benefiting from it. That's a great point, Anthony. And I agree that is something that's not going to be sustainable, and that is something that's going to have to be addressed in some fashion.
0: I think the two things that stand out to me here are uh, Anthony brings up Sean Clifford making a hundred thousand, and a hundred thousand is well more than I make. I mean, it's well over double what I make, almost triple what I make. Uh, and that's why we're going to day- tend to you know nine to five job and then having a bunch of writing jobs on the side, um, which is fine, good for them. Um, But $100,000 is a a shit ton of money, right? And Penn State is complaining, James Franklin is complaining that they don't have the resources to get these major NIL deals. And here's the thing. Like I said, $100,000 is a shit ton of money. So if $100,000 isn't enough for one guy, imagine the type of money we're talking about at these other programs. I mean, we know what Tennessee throughout a high school quarterback already. But imagine what some of these bigger programs are throwing at multiple players. And then that's where I think you're gonna you're really gonna see the problem is because how many programs in the country can actually afford to throw multi-million dollar NIL deals at multiple players? Maybe five to ten and tens really pushing it. I mean I that's why that's the major point why I think it's unsustainable because um, the money we're talking about is, is borderline ridiculous. Um, there is a, I agree to a point. You should play players for what they uh, bring to your flag uh, department, your program, so on and so forth. But uh, I mean, we're talking a lot of these guys again over NFL minimums. Um, and I mean, to a degree, it's yeah, I'm getting to that point. Like, what are we actually doing here? It, like, do we actually care about college football, or do we care about just making everybody happy and paying everybody? Um, and I, I just, w- where is the line between fair market value and ridiculousness when it comes to giving this type of money to high kids just coming out of high school who? you have no promise of potentially ever hitting their, their, uh, you know, where, where they should be. I mean, JT Daniels, if JT Daniels was coming out of high school right now, he would be getting massive money from whoever it was. Right. And do you think three, four years later, whoever gave him that massive um, NIL deal would be happy with the return on the investment? I mean, eventually, places are going to look at these deals. They're going to get burned more than once, and they're going to be like, all right, we have to start lowering the risk here and making better deals for ourselves instead of these players. But at the same time, um, when it comes to boosters, uh, boosters only care about winning, and uh, that's fine. That's what they're there for. But, um, yeah, we're in a very dangerous spot and very unsustainable sustainable spot in college football going forward.
2: Yeah, it, you know something. I'm going to be very curious to see too, because it's going to happen. What happens when the school gives a quarterback or whoever it might be a three, four, five million dollar NIL deal coming out of high school, and they get to campus and they flop? Do they sure. look? To, do, do they have a way to get, try and get out from underneath that? You know, it, and no different than in the pros when you sign someone to a big contract that doesn't work out and you try and cut cut your losses, because it, it's going to happen. And the only person who's going to get hurt there is going to be the kids because you're going to have boosters, whoever it is, trying to get their money back whenever you know the quarterback comes in or whoever it might be, and they're not the star you expected. And what DJ, happens-
0: DJ at Clemson is a perfect example. I know he didn't get a massive NIL deal to go there, but, I mean, everybody thought he was going to step right for Lawrence and lead Clemson back to another national title or at least the playoffs. And uh, he was bad last year and in the spring game just last week. He looked terrible.
2: Yeah, and even you know, look at a guy like Quinn Ewers gets this NIL deal, goes to Ohio State, and then immediately enters the portal. Like you said, Dylan, eventually you're going to get people who aren't going to want to continue to pay into this when stuff like that happens, and we're going to see that happen. And that's just it's it's going to get very hairy and very just messy for a while. And there
0: there will be lawyers. Oh, without
1: a doubt. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. This is how yeah, the market's going to regulate itself. Like like if the NCAA or the government or whoever doesn't step in and do it, like the market itself is going to regulate from situations like exactly the one you're describing. Kids are going to not live up to expectations. Kids are going to bust. Kids are going to get injured. And these guys are going to want their money back. And they're not going to get their money back unless there's some sort of regulation in place. Or I've say, the kids probably need the regulation more than anything. But yeah, the market's just going to regulate itself after a while. But. I mean, before it gets to that point, how bad is it going to get is the real question.
0: And, and this isn't
1: – this what I'm about to say
0: isn't necessarily a cause for a problem. It's just like a I, I'm not even a problem in general. just something that's, you, you kind of think about is, I mean, giving 18 to 22-year-olds this type of money, I mean, I know, I know I'm 25. I'm almost 25. I remember how I spent money five, six years ago. It wasn't well giving kids hundreds of thousands, multi millions of dollars sometimes is asking for kids to get into trouble. I mean, I hope a lot of these kids hand, have financial advisors or something because I mean, I I just, I feel given kids this type of money is just crazy. Shit's going to happen over the next few years with kids And the money they have. And some kids are going to get in trouble, some won't, but we'll see. I mean, can you imagine what you guys would have done with hundreds of thousands of dollars in college? No, and I don't want
2: to think about it. I'm married with two kids and can't even imagine what I would do if someone just walked up to me and gave me a couple extra hundred thousand to go spend as I saw fit, let alone whenever I was a 20 year old kid in college.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess the last question I have with this is. We see Alabama complaining about it. Uh, We see Clemson, Oklahoma, um, sorry, I guess USC now, um, and others have come out against it um, or the current current format. Do you think these major schools are coming out against it because it's a way for the rest of the field to get even with them? Maybe if you're a Tennessee or a Texas A&M, or do you think it's more like Anthony alluded to with Nick Saban's comments? It's, more so they're worried about the health of college football or do you think it's a little bit in the middle but potentially maybe some other issues
1: you No, know, the truth always lies somewhere in the middle right so i think it's a combination of both you know or i think they they see what a&m tennessee miami can do now that they you know they all have these big nil budgets they can spend as they please and they do understand that those schools are going to start to possibly emerge as title contenders and that's going to hurt their brand but at the same time you know these guys are in this business because they love college football, you know, they, a lot of, most of them played college football, you know, they, they grew up around the game and, you know, they want to see what's best for the game at the end of the day. And, you know, regulations and NIL are what's best for college football's health in general. So like you said, I, I think it's a combination of, of both things.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a combination. I mean, obviously anyone who thinks that, Alabama for example is not worried about Texas A&M closing the gap because of the money they can throw around or uh, you know I'm sure Kirby Smart and and Billy Napier aren't going to like what Tennessee's doing cuz again you can close that gap that said I do think that it's not just that it is a legitimate worried about the health of the game type of deal and Dylan it's, it's pronounced Damian it is just pronounced Damien.
0: Damien, no, I know perfect. it's
2: weird because it doesn't look like it, but at least the, that's what Fitz said on the podcast the other day, so I'm assuming it is just Damien.
0: All right, well that, that that'll lead us into our next topic, but I I do uh, agree. I think, with- I think
2: when it, when it's said though, that first E is supposed to like instead of like you're almost supposed to more emphasis on like almost like Damien. No, that's not right. Damien, yeah, it is Damien. Never mind. ignore that part. Yeah, it's sure. Damien. We'll go
0: no with Damien. Problem. But that, yeah, and I do agree with both of you on that. That what do you guys say with the NIL stuff? I I definitely think it's a middle ground of where it is because it it is a way to even the playing field, um. And I mean, it's this is a conversation we could have every week and go on for an hour about because it's it's a, a a really interesting topic to discuss and b it is the most dangerous thing for college football right now. It's good for the players, but it is a very slippery slope from here of how far out of control can this get? Because I think we're already getting to a point where it's out of control. And I mean, we'll just see how it goes. Um, Let's go to our next topic, which is just some notable recruiting uh, pickups over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, We'll start with, the one Marty was just uh, giving me a heads up on how to pronounce because uh, uh, the name does look like you would want to say like Damien or something. But it's Damien Robinson, the defensive end from Maryland. He entered the transfer portal just uh, about two weeks ago, maybe uh, around there. Um, and he committed to Penn State last week while on a visit or right after a visit to uh, the Midney Lions. Uh, big pickup for Penn State. Uh, to add another defensive lineman to that um, uh, sorry, defense end to that defensive line, uh, especially with losing the guys they did this past uh, offseason, including Jesse Lucchetta. Uh, they do have a decent Isaac coming off the other side this year. He's coming off injury, uh, and they have a couple other names there that could produce this year for them, but just days afterwards they lose um, a guy that they were really high in, in Zariah Fisher, for this season due to, uh, right now, an undisclosed injury, but we know he's out for the year. Um so I mean it was a big pickup for Penn State a couple days ago when they did pick up Robinson and it's an even bigger pickup now. Uh I'll let you uh Marty Ball you go you go first on this one then Anthony go to you.
2: Yeah it's a huge gift for Penn State in a lot of ways. Um you know when Chop Robinson was in high school Penn State recruited him very aggressively. Um everybody was after him Alabama, Georgia, all the big dogs and he Was that yearly kid who stays home to Maryland and commits to the movement, and we're going to turn this around in College Park and yada, 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 and now he's gone. Um, So I guess he just finally realized that playing for Maryland sucks. He wants to go play for a good team. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it's a huge gift for the Nittany Lions. The kid's got limitless potential as a pass rusher. Um, Penn State's defense this year really shouldn't have too many questions. One of the questions was going to be that edge rush position. You pair him with Adiza Isaac and you bring in incoming five star Deny Dennis Sutton, even with. This is Ryan Fisher issue. Uh, Penn State should be pretty set at pass rush. And, you know, if you're the Nittany Lions, what you're really going to like about this also is the fact that he comes with three more years of eligibility. So it's not a one-and-done deal. And I think it's also encouraging for Penn State because when he entered the transfer portal, Robinson made no bones about it. NIL was going to be a big deal. Um, I know I immediately thought, all right, Penn State doesn't have a chance then. So the fact that he picked the Nittany Lions – Tells me that you know they really worked out a pretty good nil, NIL deal with him in some fashion. So if you're Penn State, that's got to give you hope moving forward that you can continue to use nil effectively.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, even after, even before uh, the Zariah Fisher injury, uh, it was a huge pickup for Penn State. Um, but especially now, you know, Fisher was probably going to be a second string D end, which is still very important to a pass rush. You got to have those guys that can rotate in and out. But getting a guy like a Damian Robinson, who, you know, played more linebacker, you know, at Maryland last year, had some pass rush situations, but he's definitely going to be an exclusive pass rusher for Penn State now. And like you said, you pair him with Adiza Isaac, um, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, who's the incoming five-star, who should be ready to play almost immediately. And then you have like um, another pass rush specialist in Smith-Vilbert, a run stopper in Nick Tarberton. And, you know, Penn State's got a decent pass rush now, which is something they haven't really had for a while. So still questions at linebacker there for Penn State. But, you know, they're, they're doing all right at the defensive end spot moving forward. Uh, tough blow for Maryland. Um, like you said, uh, he was supposed to be that guy that was going to lead that defense moving forward. You know, he was the big five-star that stayed home in the class of 2021. And um, I guess, like you said, he I don't know why he transferred. Maybe he just didn't want to be there anymore, wanted to see other opportunities. But, you know, for for Maryland to lose that kid to – you know the team they hate the most that's that's got to be a kick to the balls because that's a that's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Maryland fan
0: Yeah, we've seen um we've seen uh Maryland actually there's a couple guys over the last couple of off seasons uh that they're really high on uh, grabbing uh, when they originally did Um uh, and I mean I, I there's no doubt that that staff can recruit but I think the coaching is still a big question there. And uh, I think Mike Loxley still has a lot to do to help get that program to where he thinks it can be. And I'm, I'm just not sure it's possible, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, without a doubt, a big pickup for Penn state, really the only question mark for that Penn state defense going forward is a linebacker because that's a really thin spot for them uh, and uh, quite a weakness right now, which is ironic considering a you know, linebacker you, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on to some other notable uh, commitments here. Um, I'm just going to list them all off quickly, and then we can um, just go. Uh, if you guys have any you want to talk about it specifically, uh, you could uh, talk about them at the end. So we got a four-star linebacker, Zyad Trotter. He committed to West Virginia. Uh, four-star safety, Ryan, uh, I guess it's Yates, uh, committed to LSU as well as four-star corner, Michael Dottery. Uh, both went to LSU. So LSU on a roll there in the secondary. Four-star cornerback Aaron Williams, a California native, may I say, uh, committed to Louisville. That's a nice pickup for the Cardinals. Four-star defensive end Yonze Pierre committed to Alabama. Four-star cornerback Javon Thomas, as well as four-star Bravion Rogers, committed to Texas A&M. Uh, four-star running back Mark Fletcher committed to Ohio State. Four-star quarterback Christopher uh Vizina committed to Clemson and three star quarterback but quickly rising quarterback uh Marcus Stokes committed to Penn State. Um those are the big notable ones. Anything you guys see out of those specifically that you want to talk about
2: no I mean I think you know you you look at it like you said Dylan for Louisville that's a that's a that's a good get especially for you know Scott Satterfield who is definitely in a interesting position to in Louisville right now, and needs all the good news he. <laughs> excuse me, needs all the good news he can get. Josiah Trotter is a nice kid for West Virginia. Um, you know the great NFL bloodlines there in his family, and I, I will be curious to see with Marcus Stokes. Um, if you watch his film. Really good quarterback. Really good quarterback. I think schools in the South and schools in Florida are going to go after him. It's going to make it tough for Penn State. They're going to have to battle to keep him. But one thing Mike Yersuch has done a terrific job throughout his college career is identifying quarterbacks early in the recruiting cycle, getting them on board and keeping them on board. So we'll see if he can do it again here with Stokes.
1: Yeah, no, the one that I was looking at the most was uh, Louisville. Um, that one, you know, with Aaron Williams, that was a little bit of a surprise, but. You know, once they got that commitment from um, Pierce Clarkson, uh, top 10 quarterback, well, top 10 quarterback ranking number 140 overall out of uh, St. John Bosco in California, a bunch of California guys have followed him to Louisville, a bunch of four, a couple of four stars as well. Louisville right now has, you know, borderline top five class, if not a top five class at the moment, which it's early, but that's still incredibly impressive that they're able to get all these Cali kids to go to Louisville, Kentucky. And um, we'll have to see if uh, they can keep all those guys in the fold uh, moving forward. But Louisville's setting up to have a really nice class this year. Also for Clemson, I want to point out Christopher Vizina, who is a top 50 player in the nation. Um, That's a big pickup for them. Uh, Clemson to to date had only had one commitment so far and four-star wide receiver Nathaniel Joseph. So for Clemson to get their quarterback on board, especially after getting... Kate Klubnik last year to get Vizina this year. Clemson is really starting to stack quarterback classes again. So, you know, that that's a huge pickup for Dabo Sweeney moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think you guys hit on all those really well. Um, I guess with that, I'll just go with uh, uh, American Heritage uh, four-star running back Mark Fletcher. Uh, he was actually a running back who for a while it seemed like he was either going to end up at Penn State or Miami, but he went to on a visit to Ohio State just not too long ago, I think two or three weeks ago. And um after that it was all Ohio State and the Buckeyes finished that recruitment up really quickly. So Ohio State's been just hitting home runs at running back over the last few cycles. I mean, we know about Travion Henderson, but I mean um who is the North Carolina back they also Evan Pry that class. Yeah, Evan Pryor. They also picked up Evan Pryor um, in that same class. And we may have seen Evan Pryor briefly last year, but it, it, either way, we haven't seen a ton of Pryor yet. He's a stud. Uh, I mean, Ohio State is a, a machine at running back. Um, and picking him up over a place like Penn State, which is also a machine at running back, um, is uh, it's huge for the Buckeyes. They've beat Penn State for a few running backs a year over the last few cycles, which is big for them. Um, and... uh yeah, I think that's the last one I got there. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about, College Rise? I mean, it is a big time recruiting-wise now. We, we are starting to hit um, a lot more visits happening. Official visits will be happening more and more in the upcoming weeks. Uh, when can official visits
1: officially start? Um, I'm, I'm not sure when they can officially start, but I know a lot of schools usually schedule them between May and July. If not the regular season. So,
2: that that first year of the spring official visit window, I know it was earlier than that because I remember guys doing a lot of official visit for spring games. Um, I don't believe that's the case anymore. But yeah, like you said, Anthony, I think it's somewhere as of first weekend of May up until I think like the first weekend of July, something like that. Because there's that two to three week dead period in the middle of July.
0: Yeah. They keep back up for the fall as of 2019 it says April 1st is when recruits can start taking official visits I just haven't heard much of it of those lot li- of them happening just yet um though let me see here, here here I found a I found a updated schedule here let me quickly give it a read um So we are currently – we just actually exited a quiet period in college football, which means we've now entered an evaluation period. Um,
1: uh, Yeah, coaches can actually get out on the road now, which is like the first time in like two years they can actually do that, I'm pretty sure.
2: Yeah, coaches haven't been able to have a spring evaluation period since the spring of
1: 2019.
0: I – well, I mean, definitely – well, that's – Sorry, that was uh,
1: that was not English, Dylan.
0: Yeah, well, this site has a bunch of stuff uh, all together, so I may have lied. No, it's evaluation period today, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, visits are happening, official visits, I'm assuming can happen now as well. Um, so it's a big time in college football recruiting. It's going to really pick up. We saw a lot of commitments over the last week and a half or so. Um, And I think we're going to continue seeing that here as we head into the summer months. And the summer's really, really fun on the recruiting trail.
1: Oh, it always is. I mean, recruiting is the thing I love the most. Obviously, like, I I love the actual game of college football the most. But, like, I love following recruiting personally. So this is always a fun time of year for me. And it's stressful, depending on who you follow but it's it's also really fun to to track so it's it's going to be an exciting uh summer being this is being one of the first true cycles where it's been fully open as opposed to the last two where it's been either fully closed or it's been like half open half closed so that's exciting as well
0: yeah and we'll obviously have the opening and all that uh fun those fun camps happen in uh in uh, the summer as well uh the elite 11 finals and all that so it should be fun um all right. You guys have any last words, anything you want to briefly touch on before we leave today? I think we're good. All right. Marty.
2: No, I think we're good. I think we covered a lot right. of stuff. today. Shows always guys.
0: Yeah. The, I, I thought we had a great show here today. So good job guys. Uh, I think that discussion about NIL we had was really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll we'll obviously talk about that a ton going forward. But uh, until we meet next time, hopefully earlier next week, we're, we're going to try to aim these shows earlier in the week. Um, until next time, thank you, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you listen. If you listen to us on Apple or Spotify, leave a review and rating. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, all that fun stuff. Subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends, family. college to all fans. Whoever you like, and be sure uh, to have yourselves a great week, a great weekend. If you celebrate Easter, happy Easter. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys. We'll uh,